I don't know whether to pray or pronounce the benediction or what. So powerfully have we been moved into the presence of Christ. Our Father, I just need to talk to you for a moment and thank you. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you that our Savior is alive. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for the meaningful time we've had to worship and lift up our voices and our hearts and praise you. Thank you, oh God, that we know that you are a welcome audience who loves to hear from us. And your joy was to hear our praise of your great son, the Lord Jesus Christ, today. And so we lift ourselves and our praises to you, Lord. And thank you so much for what you've done for us. And I pray now, because I know you have a message from the foot of the cross for us this morning, oh God, I pray that our hearts will burn as those men on the road to Emmaus when they realized they were in the presence of the living King, the Savior of the world, who is here with us this morning because our Savior lives. Our Lord is risen. He has conquered sin and death. And we are alive because He is alive. <clears throat> so we give ourselves afresh to you this morning, O oh God. Would you energize our hearts with the truth? Cause us to be more passionate for you when we recognize what you have done for us, O oh God. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, that same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who walked with the two on the road to Emmaus, has been walking around the world and reaching into the lives of people, our brothers and sisters around the world. And I thought on this Easter Sunday it might be just a real great way to begin our service by by just, or begin our, our time of, uh, in God's word by um, sharing with you some of the greetings, a few of the greetings that I received on your, uh, uh, to you from our partners around the world and um, just to encourage your hearts. And, you know, by the way, we are, we are um, celebrating the work of God in our midst as well this weekend. The, the living Christ has visited with us and has walked with us, and hearts have been changed here for eternity. And uh, we praise him for that over this weekend already. We hear from the, uh, our hope for people, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Odessa, Ukraine, who are, are you know, going through a really, really time of, of intense trial, have no sense of security or where their lives are heading at this time. But here's what they write to us. Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, on this joyful or celebratory day, we, along with you, bless and praise our God for his power, wisdom, faithfulness, and love. We are thankful to him that he raised his only begotten son, trampling death and hell. From the time of Adam and Eve, death became a horrible nightmare and terrible enemy of all people, holding them in slavery to fear and eternal destruction. But the Son of God, who became flesh, was raised from the dead. He was victorious over death and canceled its hold on mankind. We are grateful to God that we can have assurance and hope for eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Even today in our troubled and uncertain world, there is one hope for all people, hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The heavens and all the earth, the whole universe rejoices, and the angels sing from heaven, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. During these days when we celebrate Easter, we praise our Lord for the victory that he has won. During the celebration of Christ's resurrection, Holy Easter, may the Lord abundantly bless you. May your lives and service to him be a living example of your faith in the risen Christ. Grace and love to you from the Lord, Hope for People Church, Odessa, Ukraine. What a blessing that is to us. And of course, it was sent to me in Russian, and I translated it this morning before I got here for you. And I'm happy to be able to deliver it to you. And, and then we received a note, and this, this would be fascinating. You'll really be interested to know this, that I, I received this early Friday morning just before our, our uh, first service here. And um, at the very time we were celebrating our service, a Good Friday service, in uh, uh, Maletia, Turkey, our, uh, our pastor and, and friends there um, were celebrating the seventh anniversary of the, the uh, death of the martyr of those missionaries who were there. But interestingly, uh, they, for, they had um, begun a, a, a fledgling group of Christians there. And that very day, after the memorial, all the people went and dedicated their brand new church setting that is there right, th right at the time we were, we were celebrating our service. So what an amazing thing God is doing. And so the believers gathered there and dedicated the new church to the glory of God. And then early this morning I received from uh, our, our friend in Nazareth, our, our church friends in Nazareth, uh, Israel, dear best partners, he writes, uh, Jesus proves by his resurrection that truth can never be buried and it will come out with force by itself. It may be persecuted and crucified, but lives forever. Let us be the truth on earth. Happy Easter. Greetings to you, best partners. Home of Jesus, the King Church. Pastor Shalim Shalash of Nazareth, Israel. So there's just some of the beautiful greetings that we have with our friends around the world. And God is at work. And um, I have uh, this sermon burning in my heart since the beginning of this week, or maybe since the beginning of the first day I came to know Christ, I'm not sure which, but I, I have, um, I'm excited to deliver this to you. Uh, I can't remember a sermon that I prepared that so strengthened my own faith as this one has. And uh, the only thing I prayed this morning is, oh Lord, don't let me mess it up and get in the way of what you are doing and what you've done in my heart, that it might go through and, and, and make a difference in, in, uh, in uh, people I love here at Calvary. So let me just share with you this, that while wicked people thought they were making Jesus die, he was making it possible for you and me to live. And that is the truth of the gospel. That's the story uh, of uh, Christ and what he has done for us. Without Christ... We were dead to God. In fact, without Christ, you are dead to God. Uh, without Christ, we are dead in our sins. And, and um, regularly on Easter Sunday morning, evangelicals rush away from the cross and rush to the empty tomb as fast as we can. And I understand all of that, and I've done it just about every Easter Sunday, but I'm not doing it today. And uh, I hope there's not a collective sigh of disappointment, but I can assure you that what God has laid on my heart is, is vitally critical because um, without the occupied cross, the empty tomb would have no significance or wouldn't happen. And this is a key, key lesson that, is needing, that we need to learn as we visit the foot of the cross. And I want to take you to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Friday, 2,000 some odd years ago this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27 with me, if you would. 
um, I want to point out to you that all of creation attended the execution of Christ and participated in the message of the cross. The earth groans from death to life at this moment in history as God's sovereign domination of the event is put on public display. And we have good news to bring to you this morning that Christ has made us alive, but in a particular way. And I want to zero in on Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, down through verse 54 this morning. And I want to show you three symbols of death forever changed to those made alive in Christ. For those of you who know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I want to show you three symbols of death that have forever been changed by Jesus Christ. And the first is darkness at noonday, which is a symbol of sin. I, I want to point out to you the curtain, which is a symbol of separation. And I want to show you the tombs, which are a symbol of death. These three symbols of death have forever been changed to those who are made alive in Christ. We formerly were living under fearful and horrid and distressful pressure on our hearts and burdens on our lives, weighing us down. And so we asked the question this morning, is it just wishful thinking that all of this could be lifted, sin and separation from God and death? Is it just wishful thinking that all of this could be lifted, this burden could be lifted from our lives, that being dead to God could be changed to being made alive in Christ? Is this just wishful thinking? Well, I submit to you, no, it is not. And I want to consider these three events that accompanied the cross event at 3 p.m. Crucifixion Friday that brought Sunday glories from then on. So if you are with me in Matthew chapter 27, and we also have it, the text on PowerPoint this morning, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. After Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those, who, those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely! He was the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Well, in one of those saucy exchanges, the Pharisees and Sadducees said to Jesus earlier on in his ministry, show us a sign from heaven. At 9 o'clock in the morning, that first 
Friday, that Friday of crucifixion, Jesus Christ was crucified. Three hours later at noon, darkness happened on the land for three hours until 3 p.m. Show us a sign from heaven, they said. The first event that I want to zero in on this morning that has been addressed by our Savior is that slavery to the dark has been given over to light and life through freedom from sin. And I want to show you how this came about. By the way, this is not a normal or natural event. Although many skeptics and critics have tried to portray the idea of the darkness at the time of the crucifixion was, was normal or can be explained by natural causes or some other things, I want to share with you that this is not normal and not natural. It was not at dusk, it was at high noon. It was when the sun was at its highest point and its brightest place that God shut off the lights. I want to point out to you a second factor, and that is this. Some, have, some skeptics have said, oh, this was simply a, a, a solar eclipse that coincided with that moment. Well, anybody who knows anything about the religious system of Israel and anybody who knows anything about what we just experienced this past week knows that at Passover time, there is always a full moon. That's how we mark Passover. And if it wasn't cloudy here this week, you would have seen an amazing blood moon at Passover. And to have a full moon means the sun has to be on the opposite side of the moon. To have a solar eclipse, the moon has to be in front of the sun. It is impossible for it to have been a solar eclipse. Some have said, oh, it must have been a volcano that erupted somewhere, a very thick uh, layer of clouds that just put a pallor of gloom upon that particular uh, moment, but I want you to notice what Dr. Luke, uh, the scientist background, said of that particular moment. In Luke 23, 45, he says this, the sun stopped shining. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Luke writes, the sun stopped shining. This is not explained by normal or natural causes. This is a powerful act of God declaring His sovereign limitations over this very anti-God moment where wicked men and women place the Son of God on the cross. As Luke himself writes, this was Satan's hour. It's as if the living God speaks forth from heaven and says, Satan, you have three hours. That's it. It was at that moment that all the sins of the world were being poured onto the living Christ. The sins of every single human being ever born and yet to be born, every single person in this room, at that moment, everybody's sin was poured onto Christ. The representation of that moment was darkness. The prophecy in Isaiah 9 too had said, People living in darkness have seen a great light. 
In the absence of a relationship with the personal uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we live in darkness. This is the symbol of how every human being really lives. It's the final gasp of sin's power. The gloom of having your sins hanging over your head, held against you. Charges have been laid against you. And they must be paid for. And people through history are living with the dread and gloom of the burden of their sin that they know must face a reckoning at judgment. Beware those of you who think that somehow your good works might outweigh your bad and God will be fine. No amount of self-righteousness can pay the price of your sinfulness. God made a declaration at 12 noon on that Friday. When he allowed the sins of the world to be poured on his son. And Jesus himself cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Do you understand this is the moment that Christ was dreading in the Garden of Gethsemane? It wasn't the nails that were pounded into his hand, hands or the nails that were pounded into his feet or the spear that was thrust in his side or the spears that lashed his back or the crown of thorns that was thrust upon his forehead. It was this moment. And the sins of the world, your sins and my sins, were heaped on our Savior. And his, the Father in heaven turned his back on Christ for three hours of silence. There wasn't a sound. No one saw anything. The only thing that could be heard was the drops of the precious blood of our Savior at the beat of his broken heart. How bad is bad? In fact, that moment was so horrible that the father turned off the lights so that we couldn't even see it. The agony and the gloom and the strain of the Father smiting his Son for your sins and mine. At three o'clock, the lights came back on because the reign of sin had been put to death as Christ called out his last call. Not a call of defeat or gloom or distress, but a victory call. And now, freedom from sin has been put in place for all the world. So what was going on in that dark moment on the cross 
was simply this, the full penalty of our sins was now experienced by the Son of God on your behalf and my behalf. He is the ransom, Matthew 20, 28 says. This was the cost. This was the price. The wages of sin is death. And then the gospel writer John recounts what he actually said in that last gasp. To tell us die. It is finished. With a grand and glorious shout. Using the same ancient Greek terminology for paid in full. It's the same language they used in the business with one another when a debt had been paid, paid in full, stamped. When Jesus went to the cross instead of Barabbas, who was guilty and should have gone to the cross, he represented all of us. All of us should have gone to the cross to die for our sins. Sin symbolized by darkness puts us at odds with God. And that's where it brings us to the second of these symbols, the symbol of the curtain. Being separated and shut out from the presence of the God of life has now been given over to open access to the living God. Now wherever you go, Jesus is. Let me explain to you. Just as the sun was commanded to shine again, at that last cry, the curtain in the temple, it says, was torn apart from the very top to the bottom. Now this needs some explanation. Because of sin, God had set up an elaborate system of approach to the living God. Nothing like what we're used to. In the, within the temple, there were three different courts. Not everybody had access to all of them. In the first court, the people could come. In the second court, the priests could come. There was a curtain that divided those two courts. And then there was a third place called the Holy of Holies. And there was a second curtain. And that curtain was put up to prevent access into the Holy of Holies, into the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the representation of the presence of God. Only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies, in through that curtain, and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. There was elaborate uh, altars set up and wash basins to remind the people that access to God was prevented because of their sinfulness. We are told that this curtain was um, particularly commissioned by, the, by God himself. In, in Exodus 25 verse 9, in Numbers 8 verse 9, the second curtain had an elaborate weaving pattern. It was God's pattern. He described how it ought to be. Josephus describes it and I don't really understand all of this because I'm not a seamstress, but if you are in the audience, you'll probably understand some of this terminology. There were, it was made of 72 twisted plates of 24 threads each. It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. 
Uh, we're told that, that the collar was particular in that it was hung by gold hooks. And, and, and uh, at the very top of the curtain, 60 feet wide, 30 feet high, it was uh, described as heavenly blue in color. And as you made your way down through this curtain, watching as you descended on it, it, it shifted to purple. A brilliant purple color. And then as, it, as you make your way down to the very bottom of the curtain, the bottom, half of the, or bottom section of the curtain, it goes crimson red. I'm going to resist the urge to tell you about that for a few moments. That curtain. But what we do learn here is that at the moment of Christ's cry from the cross, this powerfully made curtain, not tattered and ready to fall off like a rag, was ripped asunder from the top to the bottom. And now presented open access into the presence of God. Now, some people have said, well, it was ripped because of the earthquake. If you read the sequence of the text, you will notice the curtain tears before the earthquake. Secondly, if it was an earthquake, the earthquake would have destroyed or damaged the temple. There wasn't anything that was damaged in the temple. Just the curtain was torn. At 3 p.m. on Friday, do you know what happens at 3 p.m. in the temple? It's the evening sacrifice time. It's the time when the priests were there. Who, brought to, who witnessed this? Who, who brought the message of this to the people? Because they weren't allowed to go into that. Only priests could actually see that temple or that curtain. And so it was ripped. And it tells us in the book of Acts that many large numbers, it actually says large numbers of priests came to faith in Christ. Why? Because they were in the temple at that moment when the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. And literally God the Father said, you guys are now out of business. It's done. There's no more need to, 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 to block the access to the presence of God because now a new high priest with a new and living way now makes access to the presence of God. And it says in Hebrews 10, through his body, the veil. You remember the colors of the veil? Hung with gold hooks, dependent upon heaven, with a heavenly blue color, merging red and blue always gives us purple, red being the color of flesh and blood. The curtain was always a representation of Christ, the God-man. And there it is, split open. He's the one. His body was broken and torn for us that we might now have open access to Father God. And so the message for us now is this, that through Christ, he has made it possible for us to run into the arms of our Abba Father any time we want. And God longs to receive us into his presence, into his arms. 
He welcomes his children. Christ's sacrifice is the once and for all offering accepted by God. What the temple system looked, looked to was now completed in Christ. He is always the accessible temple. He is the way to the Father. The curtain had pictured Jesus all along. Well, we have sin dealt with. We have separation from God the Father dealt with. But we have one last horrible thing. That is, as the Bible calls it, the enemy of man. And that is death. What about death? Well, if you look at the text, if you notice what is happening here, it says that at that moment, the loud voice, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. Now, the dread of death and the tomb has now been given over to living forever. No fear of death. Let me show you this. I hope you're ready for this. This is amazing. The earthquake that shuddered at the victory cry of Jesus selectively opened the graves, it says there, of holy people, people of God. You think about this. You've never heard of an earthquake like this. You've heard of earthquakes being destructive and destroying and, and killing people and all that. Not this earthquake. This earthquake selectively broke open certain tombs that were known to God. I want you to know something by way of encouragement this morning. Those of you who have said goodbye and buried loved ones who know the Lord. Our God has precious real estate in cemeteries all over the world and he knows every single plot that belongs to him. And on that Friday at 3 o'clock, our God broke open tombs. I won't bore you with the gymnastics of some Greek grammar here, but trust me, I'm your pastor. Here's what's happened. It, at that moment, the tombs broke open in anticipation of bringing to life the saints that were in those tombs. They didn't come to life right then. It's Friday. The tombs break open. The next day is Sabbath. Nobody can do any work. They can't fix the tombs. They just have to walk around and walk by the cemetery and say, what in the world is going on? What's with these selective tombs that are open? What's, what's going on here? There was an anticipation building. At the cross, Jesus took away the power of the grave to hold captive his people. In anticipation of Easter Sunday morning, when the first fruits of resurrection, Jesus Christ, would rise from the dead 
and all those whose tombs were split open would rise as well, and they made their way into Jerusalem. Now think about this. Think about all the cemeteries around Oshawa this morning and all the saints that are in those cemeteries. Think about if on this Easter Sunday morning they had have risen from those graves and come to church. That's what happened on that day. And many witnessed this great event. Death is dead. The grave can no longer hold God's people. Sin has been atoned for. Separation from God is no more. This, the grave no longer is a prison to those who die or literally in there fell asleep. And God particularly opened up the graves of those who would have a particular interest in what Christ was doing that weekend that they might be part of it. Everything is ready at 3 o'clock Friday afternoon. Sin is dealt with. Separation because of sin and the sacrificial system is put out of business. The graves are now open in anticipation of our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to life. The truth is that his death made the graves no longer capable of holding the dead in Christ. His resurrection guaranteed release as a foretaste for all of us of the truth about our lives that one day we will either die and be put in the grave or Christ will come back. Either way, God knows where his people are and he will raise us up for all eternity because Jesus Christ defeated the power of sin, opened up the way to God the Father that we might go through Jesus to the Father and took away the power of the grave to hold us in death. That's the great news of this day. Now you understand why I didn't want to rush to the empty tomb. I wanted to stay at the cross until 3 o'clock so I could tell you this. This great news that you have been made alive by what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf and validated it Easter Sunday morning by rising from the grave. And so, what was the reaction of the hardened pagan Roman soldiers as they stood and witnessed these things? It says they cried out, surely this was the Son of God. How convicted I felt when I read the testimony, the proclamation, the verbal testimony of pagan Roman soldiers. And so many times as I watched this Saturday afternoon, saw my neighbor who I know doesn't know the Lord standing over in his yard. I talked to him about everything except surely Jesus is the Son of God. This morning, um, maybe you're here 
and you have never understood this, you've never been awakened to the truth that what Christ did for us is took away every obstacle to us having a relationship with God forever. He took away the obstacle of sin. He took away the obstacle of separation because of sin. He took away the obstacle of death. There's only one obstacle left, and that's you, me. And our willingness to believe by faith that this is true. I shared this with you Friday. The Bible says that there's only two things we need to do. Speak with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and the Bible says this, and you will be saved. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So all that's holding you back, because Christ has done it all, is you. And it's my heart burden this morning that not a single person would leave this house without responding to the message and invitation of the open arms of our God who says, come unto me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Won't you come to him today? And if you know him, won't you resolve to be more bold in your faith, serve him more wholeheartedly for what he's done for you? The amazing sacrifice substitute he is for you. Father, we pray this morning. We thank you. We praise you. Our hearts are bursting with gladness and joy and thanksgiving. And, oh, Father, I pray for those who might be here this morning who have never responded to the salvation offer of Jesus, still burdened by sin and the condemnation and oppression of that, the sentence of death, fearful of death, separated from God. Oh, Father, it need not be this way because Christ has done it all for us. I pray, Father, this morning that you would be pleased to be merciful to those whose hearts are hardened and soften them to welcome the truth, O oh God. For Jesus' sake, who gave his life, that we might be an offering to him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, bow our heads for our final prayer, uh, I just want to, let's bow our heads. I, I just want to make sure that the invitation is very clear and out there. This is not automatic. Salvation is not automatic. It's a gift that's offered. It must be received. It must be welcomed. And um, this amazing love of Christ is available. He has made it available to all, but you must receive it. You must speak with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead.
And maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Rick, I've never done that, but this morning I have come to an awareness of what this means and I want Christ in my life. I want to begin a life with Christ. Would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you right now? Yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Okay. Anywhere else? Yeah, okay, back there. Thank you. I would invite you, if you have not spoken to us, um, to come and meet with one of our pastors right after the service. We'd like to put some literature in your hand and uh, pray with you and make sure that you understand how you can begin your relationship with Christ and move forward with that. So you meet us here at the front right after the service. Our Father, we praise you and we thank you for your bearing of fruit, gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done at Calvary for us. Oh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for those who this weekend have begun a new relationship with Christ. We praise you for that. Honor you and love you. And oh, God, we thank you that we still have uh, more time this day to lift up our voices and to praise you. May we make, uh, take advantage of every moment we have this day to lift up our praises to you, oh, God, and thank you. Worship you. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.